Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I will bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast. On this week's show, I'm joined by Adam Richardson. Adam is the founder of Strive Sales, a dedicated go-to-market recruitment agency headquartered in Manchester with an office in Tampa in the US with over 20 employees. Um, at the age of 33, this guy has had so much experience of running businesses. He got into recruitment when he was in his early 20s. Within a couple of years, he was already launching his uh, business outside of the market. He then launched a recruitment agency and has now launched his second recruitment business. Um, through that period, he's seen so many ups and downs, specifically right now when you're doing go-to-market, which is predominantly sales in VC-backed software companies. 70%, well, over 70% of all the candidates in the sales market in VC-backed companies are underperforming, which means the knock-on effect to recruitment has been astronomical. He saw over 50% of the vacancies he was working on vanish um, at the beginning of 2022. So as a company, they have had to evolve, they've had to adapt, they've had to become BD focused. And in this episode, we talk about his experience of all these different businesses, but really how using all this experience enabled him to get through such a very difficult 2022. And they're now seeing the upside and it's starting to shift um, along with economic conditions. A young guy, super ambitious, super motivated, really knowledgeable. I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I did recording it. So without further ado, Adam, welcome to the RAG podcast. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. I feel like we've been trying to have this chat for about two years, I think. I think I asked you eight. <laughs> just an hard man to yeah. find. You've been persistent. <laughs> you're, busy, you're a busy bloke. You're a busy bloke. Well, thanks for taking the time out, mate. I appreciate it. We're... Uh, I'm in London today and actually in the, the office of our sponsor, Recruit Hub. They've given me, kindly given me a space to record because I'm, a, I'm in a few meetings this afternoon. And you're, you're in Manchester, right? Yeah, we're in the uh, WeWork on John Dalton Street. So yeah. bang in the centre. Absolutely sweating as much as me today. It's uh, incredible out there. <laughs> it's all right, to be fair. It's worse at home yesterday without the aircon. Well, good job you didn't go into town yesterday with the with the city parade was just bonkers, I, I imagine. You won't even get out. I did. I, I ducked out early. So got in in the morning, kicked everything off for the week, and then I, I, I bounced at lunchtime. Are you a United fan or a City fan? I'm a United fan, so there was a yeah, couple of reasons. One, didn't want to sit in traffic, and I didn't want to see the city blue. Yes, I love it. I love seeing United fans disappointed this week. My mates are like, <laughs> um, well, they said, one of my mates has gone abroad. 
And he, he just, he literally planned to be abroad so that no matter what happened, if we won or lost the treble, he's like, I'm just going to block it out and just get drunk and be away. So, um, which I thought was quite funny. But um, good times for me, not so much for you guys. We'll see you next year. Um, yeah. But Adam, we wanted to get into the, you know, I wanted to have you on the show for a long time because I, um, the first time I came across you guys was through um, Alex Elliott and John Coxon, right? So we did some work with, those guys when they launched the Strive brand, which was a few, and they sponsored our show a few years ago. Um, yeah, I know Alex is still working with you guys. Uh, I don't really know where John is now. I think he travels and he lives a, he lives a pretty cool lifestyle. Um, Living the dream. But, um, he just lived the dream. But if he's listening, John, hope you still hope you still good. Um, but if if we go back in your journey, then so you've, I want to go back to the start. But before we get into it, though, just tell us really high level bird's eye view who you are and who strive are today so like people sector locations that kind of stuff and then we'll go back and tell the story yeah yeah sure so um i'm managing director um and strive we're a go-to-market talent partner for vc backed software companies um predominantly focus on building sales teams across emir and the us um currently around 20 people um got office in manchester and Recently opened up in, in Tampa, Florida. So the last um, sort of 12, 18 months has been a big focus on getting boots on the ground, getting people over there, uh, getting the plan ready, and then, you know, start growing out the, the US footprint. Yeah. And it's been uh, an interesting six months, I imagine, or maybe longer in your market. Yeah, our market, I feel like at times, feel like we're in the eye of the storm because we're so heavily reliant on like VC money. Um, and I suppose like the state of the VC world over the last 12, 18 months has been so turbulent. Um, we had like an amazing ride after COVID where the the VC world just went nuts. Um, you know, software companies were getting ridiculous valuations. They were getting term sheets without even meeting investors face to face. And it sort of created a bit of a bubble. And I think yeah. over the last sort of 12, 12 months or so, that bubble's definitely burst. A lot of vendors are struggling to grow into valuations that that they raised you know the previous rounds and it's had a huge knock-on effect with the industry so um it's been great being part of like other recruitment networks to to get a good understanding of how people are navigating it but i think my understanding from speaking to the like recruitment business owners is that we we seem to be sort of bearing the brunt of the whole economic headwinds um and i think that's been a bit of a byproduct of, of the vc space so the market has been really tough I'd, I'd definitely say this is the toughest market i've experienced in my career um i think covid was really black and white like it was you know to start with it was like recruitment all bets were off um but once we started to get a bit of momentum it was quite a quick bounce back but i'd say the last the last 12 months for strive and for our industry um and particularly our market um, has been pretty tough, um, huge amounts of layoffs, um, you know, lots of recruitment freezes and the whole sort of shift from, you know, grow at any cost, which it was in 2021, to be more conservative, finding other ways to sort of take your product to market and grow your business and increase revenue without just adding more and more sales headcount. So it's been... Um, it's been it's been a big learning curve for me as a as, as a business owner and as a leader. I feel like I've been a, a dealer of hope for the last twelve months, um, and I say like one of the biggest challenges is just trying to keep, you know, intrinsically money motivated people really engaged and focused on the bigger picture, 
when at times they've not necessarily been able to see the fruits of their labor. Um, So it's real testament to the team, really, that they've all worked incredibly hard, been very supportive of me and of each other. Um, And I've got like a really good team and a really good leadership team around me that's really helped like carry me along the way as, as much as I've, you know, tried to lead them along the way. So it's been, um, it's been, it's been a rough, a rough ride, but there's, there's, there's definitely signs of hope. There's movement in the market. We've got a really good customer base um, that are loyal to us, which has kept us busy, but I definitely say we're not sort of thriving in the way that, that I would like to be, um, yeah. but definitely working towards, you know, getting back on track with that. Fair. I get it. We'll go into that in a bit more detail, I think. But if we go back then, so you you started in recruitment working for, I believe, Alex Elliott, right? So the Alex yeah. and John's original social, it was called Liquid Personnel, right? What was the market that you worked for within that business? Uh, contract social work. I did the Southwest. It was quite an early, sort of early stages. So I had quite a big, like broad remit in terms of my market. And I think as the business grew, they really segmented it down into specific skill sets but the time that i was there i pretty much looked after all the qualified social work across children and adults um across the southwest so pretty much placing social workers into local authorities um and that, that was of my england. remit southwest of england yeah so miles away from the northwest of england where you're based yeah when i joined i was like i was pretty fuming i wanted manchester or london but the yeah. more i got to know the market i actually landed on my feet um a lot of like direct relationships, whereas a lot of other areas was all vendor managed. So I got better margins um, and I got the opportunity to go down to places like Cornwall all the time. So yeah. it was great. I bet it was in the summer. What got you into recruitment? How did that happen? So I went, I went to university for no reason other than I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't pushed in any direction by my parents and um, didn't really enjoy uni. I, I did a business degree, which was really generic. Um, and as soon as I started, I wanted to finish it as quickly as possible. So finished my degree. But then by the time I got out of uni, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew that, you know, I was quite financially motivated. I had a very competitive group of friends. My mum was quite entrepreneurial. Um, and I enjoyed selling. When I actually graduated, a friend of mine who's now my business partner and I've worked with him pretty much all my career, he was working in recruitment at the time, living in Hilton. Was he at Liquid? Yeah. He was, he was at Liquid as well. Yeah, so Harrison, he was at Liquid. He was living below Gary and Phil Neville in the Hilton, driving around in a white convertible Audi TT. And I was like, I didn't have a penny to my name, up to my eyeballs in debt. And the last time I'd seen Harrison, he was like basically working on a building yard. So it's like there'd been a lot of change. So that sort of opened my eyes up to the right. potential of recruitment and how, you know, I think if you're good at it and you're successful and you're in the right environment with the right market, that it can really, you know, quite quickly change change your life from a financial perspective. So that that's what opened my eyes to, to recruitment. Um, but it took me a while to get into it. I got rejected by Alex first time round and second time round, and third time round. Um, so you, kept, so, you just kept persisting and going back for interviews? Yeah. So I had I had my proper interviews with Al and with John, um, then got rejected, rang about three months later after they said I needed to go get sales experience. John said no. Rang about three months later, John said no. Rang about three months later, John said no. 
And then like a few weeks later, John just picked up the phone, called me out of the blue. Um, but my like my circumstances had changed quite a bit in that sort of nine month period. I'd got into sales. I was doing really well. I'd been promoted several times. I was now managing a team. So there sort of was a bit of a shift in, in power dynamics. So yeah. he then started chasing me. So it, it ended up working well because I got a good foundation of sales before I got into recruitment. I got myself a bigger base and a nice nice guarantee for a few months. So it, it, it worked <laughs> out well. Fair play. And that business was a you know fast paced, high growth company, wasn't it? When it what was it like when yeah. you left? I think four years later. So. I joined there's about 15, 16 of us, I think, plus um, like back office, which did all of the like um, support and the, the admin to do with um, with like getting getting social workers registered. And then when I left, there's probably about, I think it was about 50. We just moved into like a new office on Princess Street. It was like the first time we'd moved out of the, the famous like above the takeaway office, which was absolutely shocking but no one cared because you know it was great culture great leaders and everyone was doing really well but we moved into like the first proper proper office um so i think there's about about 50 people we had you know we were growing a perm division we were branching out of social work huge back office so it was in that alex and john had started to put the, the foundations in to really start scaling i think we'd had a big change of personnel when i joined the, you know the sort of change of the old guard if you want to put it that way. Um, and then the business started to go into a bit more of a, a scaling mode. Whereas I think right. previous to that, when I joined, it was still quite, you know, your typical like boiler room kind of environment. Um, right. But yeah, I saw, saw a lot of change in the time that I was there and, um, you know, learned a lot. What would you say was the main ingredient for their success? Like, There's obviously not a lot of things, but if you had to pick like one, because they obviously scaled, sold for, Mm. you know upwards of 20 million or whatever and and then you know they've done well for themselves and they grew to over 100 people in i think it was a 10-year period they went from zero to 10 years yeah two to 100 and sold yeah. it so what from your perspective in that four years what do you think they did so well or what was the one thing that you look back on and think they, they nailed that so so day-to-day -day, I, I didn't have too much involvement with john so if john's watching this this is uh, this is not to discredit john because i know he was more behind the scenes but mm. genuinely uh, alex as a leader um you know he 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 was ruthless you know very very demanding of everyone but like very supportive he was present he was um just a great leader and created such a great culture. He kept the standards extremely high, never let them slip. Um, and he, he knew everyone really, really well on a personal level um, and just knew how to get the best out of people. And he's still like that now. I don't know how he's got the energy for it. You know, <laughs> built that business in 10 years, sold it. And now working with him, he, he's, he's not changed one bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and anyone that's worked with Alex, you know, that worked with him for, for, for a long enough period of time that got to know him and he got to know them. Don't know anyone that would ever say anything otherwise about Alex. Um, he's yeah. exceptional about at what he does um, and extremely ambitious. Love that. Love that. So you then, why did you leave? If you're working for a great business that are growing, you're making good money, you're, you know, you're doing, why, why did you go? Um, I get bored quite easily and I know I got bored quick there because recruitment at the time it came, it came, it came quite easy. Um, and I don't know if it's like a bit of beginner's luck, but 
you know, I pretty much hit the ground running, was doing really well, and I got to a point where, you know, I was sort of like just ticking over. Um, I got promoted on the Monday, um, and then I met with Harrison on the Tuesday. He'd already left. We had a conversation about setting up a business on the Tuesday, and then I quit on the Friday. Right. So it wasn't like a long period of like disengagement. I wasn't happy or things weren't going my way. I was like, I was at the peak in terms of the number of contractors I had, my billings, my earnings. And I think if it had carried on, I would have, you know, continued to do really well and progress throughout the business. Um, but yeah, we've got, got an opportunity and I just took it and took the gamble. So you two did it. This wasn't the recruitment firm though, was it? No, we set up... Um, me and Harrison, we set up at the time, it was uh, originally a claims management business. Um, so back in the day before, you know, they all like blew up and they're, they're everywhere. Um, that turned into like being quite a data rich business. And then we started monopolizing on the data that we had and selling different products, which eventually then developed into a fully regulated online credit brokerage, which we sold how in did you 2014. Go from, how, did you go from doing, how did you go from being a recruiter in social to just suddenly becoming a claims management expert? Because that, that's what I did in the call center when Alex rejected me. Right, so you'd been doing that before recruitment, right? So you yeah. had that experience. And was that, and and Harrison, did he have experience in that as well? No, he, 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 had the, he had the network and I had the expertise. So he basically right. knew how to get in with the companies to manage all of the claims, but he didn't know how to sell them. Right, so what happened? So that bit, I mean, I don't want to go into massive detail about that business, but you, mm. how long did you have it and you managed to sell it, right? Yeah, so I think it was 2012 to 2000 and like late 2014, like back end of the year. Um, so it eventually evolved into an online credit brokerage where we, you know, we offered a, an online service where someone could apply for as, as many loans as they wanted with a single application. So like if you're trying to apply for like car finance or credit card or a secured loan you typically like you go to one lender and you fill out one application you get one decision yeah. whereas you come to us you could select you know 20 30 lenders and get a decision within minutes once they got approved we got paid and that that then was just super scalable um so we did that um grew it really quickly there was big changes in all of the regulation it went from like the oft to the the fca and by luck, because of the name of our business, we were one of the first in the country to get the license because the, the, the business was called A to Z Loans. Um, right. So we, we were the first to get the full FCA license, which meant all of the, the big credit brokers in the industry wanted to buy the business. So we sold. Wow. So what, what did the business look like when you sold it? Big tech team, big online, like multiple brands online and a like big customer service contact center, basically. Um, How many people did you have? It's about 40, I think, in total by the end of it. In less than three years? Yeah, in a little grotty office in Stockport, which is where we started Insight. <laughs> so you sell this business and did that, mm. was that life-changing money? Was it like, could you, could you stop working? Like what was the reality of the, what, you, what you realized from that? No, it wasn't like life-changing money. Um, the industry became, like we were out of our depth from a like experience perspective and the compliance and stuff was just ridiculous. Um, the banking side of it was really challenging as well. So we got an opportunity to, 
as opposed to cash in. Um, yeah. And then I just went straight into 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 back into recruitment. Right. And what and how did that happen? Because you joined, you started Insight with was it Harrison as well or just you and Sean? No, with Sean. So I'd I'd known Sean for about ten years um, through Sankey's. So he was a DJ at Sankey's and I was a regular drummer uni days and our friendship groups ended up mixing up together and got pally with Sean. He was at S3. Um, and it, it was literally like just by coincidence, I'd sold A to Z as he was leaving S3. Um, and it was just perfect timing really. And yeah, like, like I said, we, we pretty much used the office that we had in Stockport to set up shop and get, you know, get, get the ball rolling. Once we started getting a bit of momentum, we then moved to Ancoats and set up in Jackson House. And yeah, and then that, that's where it went from there. So you, all right, so you've gone from, this is quite an interesting journey, really. You've gone from, you know, brokerage lending into recruitment. You then leave to start your own brokerage. You sell it, you go back in to start a recruitment firm. So you've already yeah. got this, and you must be what age? About 30, the oldest at this point. And you're already like into your- No, I was earlier. I'm only 33 now, so- right. Yeah, so you like serial entrepreneur in your 20s. I was about 24, I think. Where does this desire to keep starting things come from and not just get jobs? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't, I think I'm unemployable now. I don't know if I could do it. Um, I don't know. I think I took a risk when I was like in my early 20s, and the, the, the only thought I put into it was like, what's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is I'd lose the house that I bought and I'd end up back at my mum's in a spare room. And I thought I could deal with that, but I don't think I could deal with the, you know, the unknown and the what ifs. Are you spending hours on LinkedIn and cold outreach and want more business coming to you over your competition? Well, if you're the founder or leader of a recruitment agency, here's what we can do for you. At Hoxo, we'll give you the training, support and resources to take you from what I call an offline recruiter, reliant on posting jobs and sending in mails to open up new customers, ultimately looking like every other recruiter on LinkedIn, to being an online recruiter, being seen by over 25,000 relevant people, driving a 200% minimum increase in engagement on your profile and seeing daily lead lists from LinkedIn that you can follow up with in six weeks time. And if you don't perform, you don't pay. Now, why can we make such a bold results-driven promise like this? Well, it's simple. There's two reasons. Firstly, whilst I've been building the RAG podcast, we've actually done what we say we'll do for our clients. In less than two years, we actually built a business generating from zero to over 1 million views per month on LinkedIn, leading to multi-million pound revenues with a sales team of me plus two people without making a single outbound cold call. Second is our track record. Not only have we done it ourselves, but we've helped over 350 agencies and over 4,000 consultants do it as well. It all in the last three years. Now, if that sounds of interest to you, click the link associated to this episode and we can book a call and tell you how we can help. Right, let's get back to the show. But not many people have the even mindset, confidence to go to that place at that age. Like I was probably, yeah. I was 29, 30 when I started my business and it, it was on my radar for about three years, but I probably didn't feel yeah. old enough or experienced enough. And again, I didn't, but I'd bought a house just before and you, you kind of tick a few boxes mentally don't mm. you, before you go and do it. You just got there a lot faster, which is testament to you. Yeah. So you start inside. What happens to Harrison at this point? Because he's just sold with you. You're in an it's your Harrison took a couple of years off. Right. He 
he was involved in a couple of like invested in a couple of businesses with with people that we'd met along the way. Um, but the crux of it was he took he, he basically took two years off and he um, he was involved with insight like very briefly. Um, but yeah, he, he basically took you know took time off. What was that like going from one business partner to another? Like suddenly you you're back in the game, running a company, but you got a different partner. It's like it's a bit like a relationship, you know, splitting up with one and suddenly yeah. you're in a relationship. How did how did you find that transition? Very different. I mean, you know, me and Harrison went to school together, known him since I was ten. Um, whereas with Sean, I knew him, you know, through Sam because he wasn't like a really really close mate. Um, but what Sean had was fifteen years in a large corporate. S3 kind of environment works his way up to director level. So there was a massive pull there for me because I could learn so much from him. And he was, you know, he was he was he was great. Learned a lot from Sean. I think from my side, you know, I'd had the experience of running my own business. I had good recruitment experience. Uh, you know, maybe that's some of the things that he saw in, in, in me. Um, you know, I'm a bit younger than Sean, so still had a, a lot of energy to to you know, to get things going. Um, but Sean, you know, like most people that have come out of S3 that get to the level that Sean did, you know, they've, they've obviously got a lot about them, a lot of experience um, and, a, and a strong pedigree for for, for running a, a recruitment business. So it was good. Um, I think me, me and Harrison, you know, we were just, I suppose, more like hustler mentality, like two young lads just, just winging it. Whereas I think what I saw when, when we set up Insight was, at the time, this was my, you know, I'm thinking, right, the next 10 years, this is it. And then get your, um, get your fuck you money, basically, after a sale. Yeah. So that was the plan. Um, so talk us through that journey then. So when you set that business up, what what, what mm. year was it? 2015. Right. And 2015, we set up in Stockport. Sean had left S3. He took a little bit of time to you know, go away and spend some time with family. I think he went to Barbados or something. So I just got our ducks in a row, got the company set up and CRM, job boards and all the, you know, the boring stuff that you need to do just to actually get going so that mm. by the time he came back from his trip, we were, were in a position where we could just start hammering the phones. It's just the two of you? Just the two of us, yeah. Um, You'd not and then, IT before? Never, never recruited IT. Didn't know a single person in the IT. Well, I tell a lie. I had from from A to Z. I had a lot of like partners that I worked with, so that was good because I could actually tap into them as like an immediate client base. Yeah. Um, but yeah, never recruited the market. So I like, had a crash course with Sean for I think about half an hour on what .NET was, and then just started ringing candidates. And I remember the first candidate I ever spoke to, I placed. Uh, and placed him a few times and he was he was good to me because I just said listen you're the first person I've ever spoken to in the market I need you to help me out and he was great that is what and he ended up becoming quite a good mate he's he's not sadly he's not with us anymore um but he 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 basically taught me as much as I could about .NET as quickly as possible um and then we started bringing people in from Sean's network that he knew people that I knew um and then the business just sort of went from strength to strength. We, you know, we brought on some really key people that helped get the business to where it was when I left. And how long were you there for? Four years. 
four years. Yeah. And, but there was an interesting point where in 2017, you started Strive with Harrison. Yeah. Talk us through that journey then. So you, where, was, where was the business two years in? And when did you start thinking about a second company or another company? Mm. So two years in, I think we were about 20, 25 consultants across contracts and perm, .NET, predominantly the Northwest and Yorkshire. And we reached that typical point that a lot of recruitment businesses do where they get to 20, 25 quickly, and then they start to plateau. Um, and we just, you know, we'd either let people go for performance or whatever, or people would choose to leave. And we just, we just kept hovering. So originally Strive was our in-house rec to rec. So we basically built an internal recruitment function, but then wanted to monetize it. So we set up as a separate brand. And then from then onwards, we managed to really push on with the growth because we had our own dedicated recruitment function that was focusing on insight, but also taking candidates to market that either didn't want insight because they didn't want tech or they didn't want me or yeah. Sean or whatever, or we didn't see a fit with them and we'd then go and place them elsewhere. So that that was how Strive originally started as a rec to rec. Right, that makes sense. Um, and did you lead that? Like you stepped yourself aside to lead that? No, just in, as just an investor and I suppose provided the the, you know, the the infrastructure, so the office space, we had the team, I trained the team, all the resources, LinkedIn, all the, everything you need so that basically when Harrison came back into the fold, he could just literally day one, pick up the phone and get going with it. It was Harrison the guy that you were bringing in to lead that then? Is that the plan? Was that yeah. the plan? Right. Yeah. And what, I suppose, I suppose any, I mean, going into rec to rec with, with the recruitment experience, is, you know, it's not rocket science, is it, to... It's not no. an easy market, but, it's, but you can understand it. So I, you bring him in in 2017 to, yeah. to take that on. What what happened next? Because it obviously transpired that you ended up mm -hmm. leaving and staying in Strive and completing it, creating a completely different company. Yeah, yeah. So Strive did really well. Uh, Harrison built a really good reputation in Manchester as a rec to rec, and you know he did great things for for Insight in terms of bringing some great people in. But what what started happening was the clients for Insight, we were, we were finding them all the engineers and basically everything on the, the dev and product side. They started coming to us for more commercial roles. Um, and I remember a couple of my clients, we got like a sales director, a head of sales and a, 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 an individual contributor role um, that they asked us to fill them. You know, we, we were all tech. So I said, well, I'll tell you what. Strive sales, Harrison was keen to take them on. So we took them on and he filled the roles within a matter of weeks. The average fees were like double what we were doing on Insight. Um, and then as soon as Harrison got a taste of, I suppose, bigger fees, he was like, right, you know, we should move up the food chain. Um, and then we started focusing more on software sales and gradually phased out the rec to rec, moved the team over and then flipped Strive into a, you know, pure, purely enterprise software sales recruitment business. Um, and in the first six months of us doing that, like Harrison and the team, they outbuild in six months pretty much what the whole of the, the Perm IT team did. So wow. it was just the, the market opportunity was just, was just so glaringly obvious that it was too good to pass up. So we just, we just doubled down on that and, and went for it, recruited a new team, separated the offices, um, 
and then yeah that that's when i made the decision to to sort of part ways with with insight really but obviously sean would have been a, an owner in strive as well yeah, yeah. But how without how do you, you maneuver yeah. such a, a deal so i think like alignment's really important with regards to like leadership and i think over the years <clears throat> alignment has started to sort of maybe come out a little bit out of kilter so um, myself and Sean had a conversation between us, like it was all, all amicable and just decided that, you know, this is maybe a good opportunity for us to part ways. I've got something that I can focus on. Insight's in a really good place. He can focus on it. So myself and Sean agreed a deal that, um, that he would buy me out and we would, we would part ways. And, and that was it. There was no drama or fuss per se. It was just... Well, did you I have to buy him out of Drive as well? Was it like a cross? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that that was all part of the deal, and it was done. I think um, you know, I'm sure they, they wouldn't be an equal price, right? So there'd be two different businesses measured in their own way, and then it, you know, there was a few moving parts. Yeah, but yeah. thankfully, it all actually happened relatively easily without any fallouts. So unless unless Sean says otherwise, it's still um, he's done no, next no week to talk. No, I'm joking. Is it? <laughs> no, no, I mean, he could be. I'll get Sean on at some point. I'm sure. Yeah, he's no, he's a good yeah. guy. He's yeah, a good he's guy. A good I saw him recently. We did the power. Uh, we literally just started working with the Power Hive, and I went down to their first event, and it was yeah, it was awesome. Really enjoyed. Yeah. It. Um, but yeah, I, I literally didn't know. I, I kind of roughly knew you were involved, but I didn't know you were a founder until we spoke the other week, which is I've it's a very different business now. There's there's yeah. Well, I've interviewed 300 people now, pretty much on the rag, and I've never seen anyone do what you've done. Like, I've never seen anyone go do as many businesses in such a short period of time under the age of 30, and then start a business, start a second business, and then part ways. It's, it's a really interesting... Just to go back on that, and again, this is not about Sean. This is about mm. being a business owner and having a partner, right? And you've yeah. obviously had... You've had Harrison, you've had Sean, then you've gone back to Harrison. You've also had Alex Elliott, who was your boss, who's now a, a partner, if you like. Yeah. Before we tell more of the story, like, what do you think are the key things you've learned about getting the right partnership? Like, what is it that has to be there for it to flourish? Uh, trust. You've got to be able to trust that person like without any any doubt. Um, that That's one thing, like don't go into, into business with someone that you can't trust. Um, I think like you, you've got to be aligned in terms of what you want out of it as well. If one person wants a lifestyle business and someone else wants to build a market leader, like that isn't going to work because no the work ethic isn't going to be there from one person than it is from the other. So like alignment's really important. You've got to want, want the same things. <clears throat> and then like you're complementing skill sets. Like I know I'm not the finished article. I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And I think having a partner that complements that um, is, 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 is really important. I suppose Alex's role is slightly different in what, what he's been involved with Strive, you know, he's a, he's a business partner, he's a shareholder, but I think given his experience and what he's done, he also plays the part of a mentor and an advisor um, and a, a therapist at times um, and a friend. So like, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that he's brought to the table over and above, you know, just a, you know, just a business partner. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some of the things that I'd say. Um, I'd agree with you. 
I'd agree with you completely. If I look at, it's mad. I mean, it's a slightly off topic, but if I look at my romantic relationship, right? So my, you know, I, I was married in London and we split up and I got divorced. And I remember thinking at the time, I know it's, it's mad, but I remember thinking, I trust Amma, my business partner, more than my wife. Right. Like, I genuinely did. I was like, I could say anything to him and I know he'd just, he'd just believe me. Like, I don't have to convince him. I can say something yeah. and just take it face value every time. And, and likewise, whereas in this relationship, I was found myself constantly trying to justify shit that wasn't, I didn't need, I shouldn't need to and vice versa. I didn't really believe what she was saying a lot of the time. And, and it turned out I was right in that, in that instant. Now I'm in yeah. a relationship, I'm, I'm married again, right? And I'm not Ross Geller in Friends before anyone thinks it. Um, I don't get married just for fun, but <laughs> I'm in a relationship now. I'm in a relationship now where I, I would say I'm, I'm both sides, it's the same. You know, I can, yeah. I can genuinely trust my wife. I can genuinely, and it's an amazing place. I've never been there with a business partner in that respect. I've not had that, you know? So um, even the guy that we, because we had three partners, there was a third partner to Hoxha, a lad who I grew up with, who I went to school with, and it was similar to you and Harrison, but it wasn't a trust thing with, with Mark. It was more of a capability and, a, and an alignment thing. We didn't see this. We didn't want the same things. It wasn't, it wasn't going to fit, yeah. but trust was never my issue. But I totally I, I respect you for, for being honest with that. And I think so many people start recruitment companies with people from the office who are good and they see mutual qualities. But that, a lot of people don't really think at the start because you, you know, there's nothing to bet on at the beginning there's no there's no there's no value to it it's just an idea yeah do they i want people to think about these things because it's really important take us take us from 2019 and now so you've is this where you brought alex and john in and you started to make this a serious business yeah so we parted ways inside and strive me and sean the sort of split was you know the deal was stamped and it was all done um and then we moved into the new offices and then it was like, I think it was like October, November, 2019 was like my first proper day in the office with the team. Um, and then that was like, you know, day one, um, within, within a few weeks, pretty much like sacked most of the team and started afresh. Um, Why? I think like culture and values just weren't right um with some of the some of the people that we had um so pretty much yeah started fresh started hiring hired a <clears throat> hired an ops manager to help basically build out all the like systems and processes and get the business ready to start like hiring aggressively hired in some some fresh trainees and started training them up um two of which are still here today one's helps me run the manchester office the other one's gone to set up the us um and then, yeah, just basically that that's was like Strive 2.0 and then COVID hit. <laughs> so um, we had like a six month run where like we were just getting some momentum. We'd, I think we'd hired about, I think now, seven or eight people, got rid of some of the, the previous people. Um, and then, yeah, like we were literally winning business, breaking records every month. It was, you know, growth, growth, growth. Everything was great. The team was amazing. We're all having loads of fun. Then, then COVID hit in um, March, 2020. And that was, um, yeah, a lot of unprecedented times, especially like, you know, still relatively inexperienced, still junior in my career for, for what, what I'd consider. And yeah, then faced with a, a global health pandemic and all rec literally recruiting. 
you must be new to recruiting sales into tech as well because you'd done social yeah, media, yeah. You'd done technology and then yeah you might have started stride but you weren't directly in it so then you've got to get yeah. into you got back on the tools yeah you reinvented yeah. yourself yeah so i got back on the tools um was working jobs dealing with clients doing vd hiring i'd like just went back to like your typical recruitment like business founder where you, you're just wearing wearing every hat and you know it's hard to sit there and start training someone on a market when you've never built in the market so yeah, yeah. i had to make sure I, i've always been one of those people that can do like as i say you know what i mean um yeah. whether it was recruitment whether it was with the claims like whatever it's been i've always you know made sure that the proof's in the pudding so i'm not sort of speaking hypothetically um because i think like for people to buy into you as a as a leader they you know they they want to they want to know that you've got like the pedigree to to do it 100% now the without going through the whole covid story in depth mm. we can't know how that played out right for most businesses remote slowed down but then we saw the hockey stick and it was it was a boom time how yeah, it was did great. Your, how did your trajectory grow in that period of say late 2020 to early 22 probably it was about a 12 to 18 month period of rocket ship right went from like eight to 30 in the space right. of like a year um revenue was just went through the roof the whole business changed the quality of business that we were winning the clients that we were working with like the business completely transformed and and, and we did really well like 2021 was a lot of fun um you know it was, it, it was great um and yeah we grew we grew really quickly and it was yeah it, it was amazing. Like we had our first million pound biller within like two years of the business being set up. Um, you know, grads coming in earning eighty grand in the first year. You know, it, it was it, it was it was really good. How did your role evolve? Has it got bigger and more more established? And you know, you started seeing those numbers go up. What what did you change? Yeah. And what, and how, what did you spend your time doing? I spent a lot of time on hiring. Um, that was like most of twenty twenty one was hiring. I managed to like delegate a lot of the like client work that I was doing to the team because they started, you know, progressing and the capability increased. So a lot of the people that we brought in just before COVID, they, they basically took over my client base, which let me focus more on the business. Um, So yeah, spent a lot of time hiring, um, training managers. um, And that, that was most of the year was just like growing the business um, and like trying to basically develop the next, the next phase of, of like leaders within the business. And Harrison, how did yours and his role evolve? Because you said early on, you, you, you complemented each other's skills. When, yeah. When you're doing that, you're looking at hiring and training. What's he spending his time doing? So Harrison's like, is just naturally like naturally capable when it comes to like business development. So we really stripped everything back from Harrison to just focus on, on BD and winning clients and winning big projects. Um, and then I basically took care of everything else within the business from a operational, from marketing. We've got a really good finance director, really good ops manager. Um, so I looked after everything else day to day and Harrison just went, you know, full, full pelt on BD, which is why, you know, we, we managed to like grow our revenue so aggressively in that year and start working with some amazing clients and build a really good network. Um, because we just took everything away from him and let him lean into what he's really he good at. His job, or is he just about no. bringing work now? So he just bring just sign and sign and pass. Yeah, yeah. 
which is <clears throat> it's probably more my strength, I think, as well. It's probably where I have lent. Am has been more like you in my business, where he's kind of dealt with what's come in and what's I think marketing yeah. and sales has always been on me and then everything else has been on him. But he is also a sales guy, right? Like you are and gets his hands yeah. dirty and leads that as well. Um, yeah, still, I'm still hands on. When it comes to leading a sales team, though, is that still more you than Harrison, even though he's out there? He's yeah. Not at, yeah. Yeah. Mate, so I managed, managed the whole team, you know, that everyone pretty much reported upwards into me, and Harrison just kept doing his thing. And what happens when, um, like, how do you, how do you manage Harrison's, because he's doing the same as the sales guys? How do you, do you have to manage him, or does he, like, how do, how do you two, Balance that. You, this, you don't need to manage a founder. You know, is his interests and my interests. So you know, I know whatever he's doing, wherever he is, it's all with the businesses. Like you know, at the centre of that. So no, haven't necessarily had to manage him. And to be honest, I don't think I'd want to. <laughs> oh, he's a bit of a maverick, shall we say? So it's not. Um, you know, you just just let him do his thing. Yeah. And, and does he sit, does he help make decisions around the business? Like, is he involved in those conversations as well as a sounding board for you? Yeah, yeah. Still involved with everything. It's not like he's cut out of the loop for that. It's just like day to day. You know, there's no point in him getting bogged down into like, you know, management issues or training issues and stuff like that, which just takes away from what the business needs. You know, we've got a really hungry sales floor that need jobs. So like, he's the most yeah, yeah. capable in the business at, at, at doing that. So let him do his thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it sounds so similar to me and Amma, really. It's really similar. And he's been always yeah. good at letting me do what I need to do and not, not not hold me back and not but I'm not the guy for like detailed process and I mean I don't think he is to be honest. I think he's learning to be that guy, but I don't think it's as natural. I think most recruiters don't naturally you're not naturally process and admin driven, but it's just something yeah. certain people do. I, I like, you know, don't get me wrong, I like a good process i like things to be organized i like things do, done in a certain way but i think like actually putting that all together and you know documenting everything is not not my not my strength which is why we, we bring in you know really key people within the business into into ops into marketing into finance um so that you know you can play to those people's strengths who will do a better job than i would yeah what what's happened then since the market turn and when was the earliest sign that the things were changing so we saw it as early as i'd say q2 last year we come into q1 last year with the most pipeline we've ever had like it was set to be the biggest quarter um that i think we would have ever done as a business and we had a disaster we had like more offers declined more offers pulled jobs pulled clients stalling like it was just a disaster um and coming off the back of 2021, which was just like record-breaking quarter after record-breaking quarter, um, it was a bit of a shock. And we was like, started to feel like, what, what's going on here? And then Q2 is when the conversation started happening with all the VCs and their, their investment portfolio to say, listen, like the, the message generally was like, batten down the hatches and prepare yourself for a pretty bumpy ride. So like loads of the... Um, the larger vendors then started cutting back, making layoffs. The startups started slowing things down. And then throughout the year, it was just, you know, layoffs throughout the industry. And then Q1 this year, I think there's like 200,000 layoffs across 700 companies, just specifically within our sector. Um, 
the, the figure's probably higher now. I've not checked that for a few weeks, but but yeah, it was it was pretty pretty bad. So 2022 just felt like a slog. Um, we still, you know, did well as a business. It was still record breaking from a profitability and revenue, but you know, our expectations were up here and we, we landed like down here. So there's loads of positives to take from last year. Um, you know, in terms of the things that we did within the business and how the business business looked, but um the the market literally just the rug got pulled from under us and then how it's been you, sort of similar story this year. How did you cope with it when it first started changing? Because you know, I've been there where you've had a really good quarter and then suddenly it just changes and you don't know whether it's you or whether it's the people in your business yeah. or whether it is the market. You can't be a hundred percent sure whether your people are taking the piss or they're taking the foot off the gas or you're not pushing it harder. Like how did you deal with that in the early days of that change? I think everything you just said, like at first it was like, you know, giving everyone a kick up the arse. This isn't good enough. Look at last year. This isn't, a, you know, you need to be doing more, more, more. And then like when everyone and all your senior leadership are telling you like, no, Adam, like, you know, really this is, this is what's happening. And then just speaking to people, you know, speaking to my clients, speaking to investors that we work with and like all the partners that we've got, within our like our ecosystem just to get a, a flavor for what's going on within the market um and then you start to get a feel for it and when you're when you're so focused on building sales teams and like go to market as a whole and your customers aren't selling it's quite indicative of what to expect if you've got a sales team that you typically build for a, for a company and they're not performing you know, what do you think the knock-on effect is going to be for, for hiring? Like, it's very much a leading indicator of, you know, hiring is going to slow down. And, you know, there's some stats at the minute. This 79% of sales reps in our industry missed quota last year. Wow. So, it, again, it's, like, quite indicative of, of the market. You know, they're selling to large enterprises and, and large enterprises are cutting back spend on, on software or trying to consolidate what they're doing the vendors aren't going to be selling if they don't hit the number that they're supposed to be hitting from an ARR growth rate. They can't raise the money. They can't hire. And it all just has a knock-on effect. So, yeah, last year's when we first saw it. It was, you know, it, it, it hit us like a punch in the face, particularly after 2021 was such a high. Yeah. And then the last sort of 12, 18 months has just very much been focusing on engagement, motivation, getting the team pulling them together, focusing on development, focusing on the areas within the business. That, that do? What did you specifically do? So you go from, again, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but you know, you believe your own hype a bit. You have an amazing year. You're like, we're growing, mm. we're fucking wicked. Suddenly you get a slap in the face. Then your leadership team starts. To, then you start to wake up that actually, I've got to listen to my team here. What were the logical steps you took then to take action? So understand like what, why, what's happening, why is it happening and how does this look um, and sort of timeframes. So once you sort of come to terms with that, then start looking at things like, right, well, what does the business need? Well, we need jobs. So let's double down on BD, you know, quite pragmatic about it. So we started focusing on developing more people on, on BD, whereas previously, like most of the business was propped up through loads of delivery consultants and me and Harrison just bringing on loads of business um, through our own network. Um, so it was, you know, shifting people, you know, pulling people off delivery that we knew were capable on the BD side, focused on building out our, our whole, like, our own go-to-market playbook in terms of how we will win business. Because the difference of – one of the things I've found is going from insight to strive, 
our customer base, if you're selling to, a, to techies, CTOs, heads of development, they don't necessarily know what good sales look like, even if it hit them in the face. That you know, they know what a good engineer looks like, but they don't know the sort of art of sales and yeah. what a good salesperson looks like. And if they're being prospected, like what good prospecting and bad prospecting looks like. But when you sell to like an American VP or chief revenue officer who leads, you know, a, a huge organization generating hundreds of millions in revenue, if you're not prospecting them in the right way, they won't even entertain it. You send you know, one bad email, you, you're dead to them. You, if your cold call's not on point, you're dead to them. Um, and if you don't talk their language, they're, they're so unforgiving, particularly the Americans. So it was focusing on like actually building our playbook when it comes to winning business. Um, and I'd say like our business itself, from a BD perspective, like looks more like what a contract BD like desk would look like. It's so, so BD focused. Um, you know, the, the, the guys pretty much spend all day on, on, on new business. So that was a big thing was like actually upskilling people on BD, building out the playbook, rolling that out, trying it and testing it, um, redefining what our ICP was, you know, the kind of customers that we worked with before the pandemic looked very different after the pandemic. And then also when the market shifted, those kind of organizations just weren't using recruiters. So we had to shift find a different kind of business that we would go after still the same role still the same ecosystem but a different stage in their journey so that was a big shift um and then it's just about like executing it and, and like having confidence that what you've put together is going to work um and i'd say like you know that took a good six nine months to, to really get going and get people upskilled so they started winning um and we're really lucky that you know some of the people that we that we put on that role have done really well like one of the guys now is just absolutely smashing it. And he's um, he's been so consistent from the moment he, he he stepped into that role to where he is now. He's He's been like a real driving force behind, I suppose, like keeping things going for the last, last year. Yeah. Over 70 founders have launched their businesses on RecruitUp in the UK, USA, and the UAE. One of them is Kyle Winterbottom, the founder of Orbition Group. Also an Hoxo Academy client, Orbition are a niche talent consultancy operating exclusively in data analytics and AI. They work across the UK, Europe, and the USA. In just over two years of trading, the company's gone on to build a huge client base globally in the data analytics space. Kyle is voted one of the top 100 most influential people in the market, and he's built an industry-leading podcast like The Rag with over 20,000 listeners in 128 countries. Before joining the Recruit Hub, Kyle spoke to at least five other support companies, and all of them wanted him to either invest a lot of his own money up front, but then he'd only get a very small percentage of the money that he'd invested against the cost to start, or they just wanted to take too much equity. For Kyle, Recruit Hub was the right option. The company has been able to lean on Recruit Hub very heavily since starting, and Kyle and Edmund and the team have got such strong relationships, and it's all contributed to the growth of the business. Since launching, Orbition has benefited from the tech startup, the planning, the legal, the finance, the incorporation, and Kyle's been able to focus on the bits that he knows best. That's content production, that's global data, community building, and generating huge fees. Now, if Kyle had known about RecruitUp earlier in his career, he said he'd have launched much faster. So anyone who's listening to this episode thinking, I think I could do this, you really need to read Kyle's story. And you can read Kyle's story and find out more about RecruitUp via the link attached to this episode. Right, let's get back into it. And are they all filling their own jobs when they win the business? No, sign and pass. So it's all 180, basically. Everyone's yeah. got either. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Who manages the client relationship? So if I win a role, pass it on, do I give the whole relationship to that guy or do I have to manage the candidate like delivery? Depends. It depends. If it's like a one role, you know, the BD person might keep it and manage it. It's going to be like a project. We normally pass that to like a project manager who will deliver with the team. So like some of the, <clears throat> most of the clients that we work with are not, you know, spot placements. It's like 10, 15 hires plus. I think like one of the biggest projects we did was like a 30 person full go-to-market team for EMEA in three months. So like that is just going to take away all of the time of, of the BD person which means you're not winning any business for that three-month period. It means you're back to zero when you start again. So um, those kind of projects, we will just pass to a delivery team to, to project manage and, and, and make sure that that's delivered properly. The BD person can get, get back on the blower and win, win more. Makes sense. Makes sense. In terms it's quite a lonely of, job, though. That's that's one of the part of the feedback. It's quite, you know, you're just constantly on the hamster wheel. So it takes a certain type of individual to enjoy doing that. 100%. But again, it's more of a traditional sales job, isn't it? Like filling your yeah. own work, not going working one of your customers. Even in my team, it's not a, there's, there's, everyone's got a role to play. You sign a client, you pass them on and someone else is the expert at what they do. It's not, the 360 yeah. model is, is pretty much unique to our industry, really. I mean, the state agencies and stuff, you might get it as well, but yeah. most commonly tech sales, most sales, you, you're getting a sale and you're moving it on. Um, it's unproductive, isn't it? The 360 model is really like, inefficient it is but at the same time unless you're signing retainers i can see the challenge with the 180 model because if you're not actually generating revenue from that first interaction and you're just passing on an opportunity that's contingent it's very you know if i'm a, if i'm only passing on work and i'm never in control of the sale that's yeah. where the challenge comes in and i think you know when i look back at my career as a contract recruiter you know, I was I was I was pretty I was pretty fucking good at both of them, right? I was really good at winning business and filling it. And then, as it as my career evolved and I built a team, I was you know I was responsible for winning it and what you what you were doing. Um, and the challenge was always getting someone as good as you to fill those jobs. Um, yeah. But we were still forcing them to go out and do BD as well. We never I never actually worked in a way at that point of just getting them really good at the candidate side. I never had any experience with that. And I do know companies that have done it really well. They typically set up more like a tech play than a traditional recruitment side. Yeah, I, I think like Liquid, I was all 360. Insight, when we first started, I was 360. But once I'd built up a really good contract book and a good client base, I'd, I'd pass, most of the clients would come to me, I'd get the role and I'd pass it to one of the team to fill it. Um, I'd normally know who to go or go after, but I, I often found that that played to my strengths as well. And <clears throat> I think if um, you wanted to like really scale it, then I think that the sort of 180 model works a lot better. Agreed. So when did you launch Tampa? Was that in the midst of this storm of the market yeah. being down? Why, why do you so, think about that? So we started, we come out back after COVID. Everything was going great. I think it was yeah. Q4 of 2021. We agreed, right, let's go for, for the US. And then we started, we had like a three month research project to find the location, found the location and then started the process in January, 2022. Took a year to get everything like done. Um, and then we were just waiting on like visas basically Q1 this year. So it took, it took us like a year to get everything everything done. Um, and I think once you're in, you, you know, you're in and we were fully committed to the US 
Um, we've been really smart with our money ever since day dot. We've basically saved every penny that we've, we've ever had by myself. Harris and Alex don't take big salaries. We're not like splashing the cash unnecessarily. We've reinvested and saved everything. So despite the market still being a bit, um, a bit slow, we still had the cash to like to, to, to push on with, with the investment and, and, and the expansion. So we just decided to go with it. The people that we've got that have gone over there, we've, got absolute confidence in them all like a really good team that all really complement each other um and i know that they'll they'll deliver are they already um, recruiting in the us from here though so they already had like a track record yeah so we took our best biller off germany to to head up the us and he moved uh i think, I think it was like midway through last year he started focusing on the us took um john who's md for the us he shifted onto the us at the same time, uh, and then started building out the US desk, um, and then started adding adding more consultants onto it. So we had the business there before we went. So it wasn't like they've gone over there at zero. Um, they've gone over there with an existing client base, with an existing network, just on a different time zone in a different office. Yeah, and how is that market like in terms of the flow of jobs and the you know the confidence in the market? How is that compared to that of the UK and Europe? In a similar space. It's the same. So there's, you know, the the US, from what I've seen, they're like six months ahead. You know, whatever happens over there, we typically get it sort of six six months later. So they're 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 a lot they're they're ahead of it than what we are. Um, so it's been it's been really tough for them. Like the BD in the US has been has been tough, but it's that big. The market's that big. You know, it's it's 2021 was like shooting fish in a barrel. This year's like more like what you'd expect from a recruitment market. You've actually got to work hard to earn a living and to win business. Um, so it is, it's tough. Um, and me is obviously a lot, a lot slower than, than, than the US and it's, there's a lot more complexity to it with all the different regions. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's not been any easier over there for them. Right. And moving the team over there, how is that? Like, how's the, how, are you, how are you managing that? And culturally, how are you going to keep them from going to two different cultures and two different, because they're not even on the same time zone. I know it's five, it's not yeah. only five hours, but it's five hours is enough to create a lot of complexity. Yeah. In your- yeah. So, I mean, like, I can't say and profess to have all the answers because we're like three months in and I've got three people there. So it's, it's not like, you know, I've got all the answers, but one from everyone that I've spoken to that's done it successfully, the first thing they've said is don't try and just replicate what you've got in the UK. Right. You know, you've got your blueprint, you've got your processes, you've got your, your Strive DNA, and then let that then become your, you know, your American version of it. So we had we had a really aggressive hiring plan for this year, which we've just had to can um, and just like take stock until the market starts to pick up and then we'll start to execute it. But the plan was to have a founding team that were strive, you know, through and through. They've been here from day dot. They know everything about the business. They've been a part of the business's growth and everything that we do and why we do it. And the story and the success is down to them. And then build around that. So we've got a few people in Manchester that have got ambitions to move over there, which is part of things that they're working towards. But outside of that, the plan is to build, you know, it with Americans and build like this, you know, the strive, American office and, and let it have its own identity. Um, 
but with our process and our blueprint. I think people that try and go over there and recreate a, a UK office in an American culture, from what I've been told, are gonna you know face like challenges. And it's the same coming the other way. My clients with American American vendors, when they land in the UK or France or Germany or wherever in EMEA, they all have the same challenges coming the other way across the pond. So that that was the advice that I'd taken on is like, you know, have your people there that know your business inside out and then build an American version of that business and let it have its own American identity. Um, what was a massive shock was interviewing Americans, obviously interviewing candidates for jobs is one thing, but interviewing Americans for your own business, you know, to the level that you, of detail that you interview people was just, it was night and day for interviewing someone in the UK. In what way? What was different? <laughs> they're just, they're just different. Everything is great. They're so optimistic, positive. They, they are all like, I think it's just that American culture is just very different to the Brits. You've really got to dig to find fault. Um, right. The other thing is like most Americans that go to like a good school, when we were you know targeting decent caliber candidates, they have like training on interviewing and stuff like that. It's part of like their, their, their college degrees or whatever. So they're actually trained and do courses on interviews. So their, their ability to interview and sell themselves is a lot different to like, say a fresh grad over here. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's very different. I wonder if that translates into the skill of being a recruiter as well. Like, you know, if they're good at interviewing for themselves, are they going to be good at interviewing others and good at communicating to clients and finding that role? I mean, it doesn't always work. I've got to be careful because I don't know who's listened to this, but like I've got, I've got friends that have gone over and set up businesses recruiting businesses in the US and they the the long and short is that a lot of the American grads that they'd hired previously and this isn't you know for all of them but they could talk the talk but they couldn't walk the walk they'd sell themselves as you know being you know 100% committed and having the work ethic but when it actually came down to doing it they didn't necessarily have the minerals to do it which is probably you know quite telling given how successful the UK recruitment industry is and the fact that so many recruitment businesses from the UK going over to the US and absolutely cleaning up. Mm. I never worry about com competition of a, of a US recruitment business, no matter how big and established they are, because most of the recruiters aren't very good. Yeah, yeah. So it's that confidence. I always think it's like we're like the Premier League and now like the MLS, and it's like we're going out there to yeah. Premier League. Premier League players, the MLS, right? That's how I look at it. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, well, it's early, right? It's three months in. It's going to be a journey, mate. It's going to be a journey. And yeah. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you. So where where are you heading then? What is the vision for Strive? Because, you know, I don't get any vibe that you, you know, you, you're anywhere near where you want to be. Where, mm. where, do you, where do you want to take this? So it's very cliche, but it's, it's really simple. We want to be known as the number one provider for go-to-market talent within the VC-backed, SaaS space, right. um, you know, we've got, there's a couple of like big players in the market. There's there's not huge amounts. Like if you look at like IT recruitment in the UK, like there are hundreds and thousands of, of IT recruiters, but like specifically like expert go-to-market recruiters, there, there, there aren't that many out there. So there's a couple of very well-established that have been in the market 20 plus years that, you know, do some incredible numbers and, you know, it's about knocking them off the perch. Um, with a view that long-term the plan is to exit and, and sell. Yeah. 
And have you got a time frame in your mind? Have you got an age no. or a point in your mind where you think that is probably what I'm aiming Whether I do or not, that's what I'm aiming for. I have a number that I don't want to share, but before I'm 40, I'm 34, I've got six years left. That's exciting. I mean, I started Hoxo at 30 and said I wanted to be done when I was 40. And now I'm 37 soon and I'm like, I can't see one, I can't see it happening. Two, I don't know if I'd want to, like, I quite enjoy it. And I, I don't know what yeah. I could do all day. So um, it's funny. Um, funny I think there's like, yeah. one of the things that I've like learned is, you know, building a business to sell is one thing, but the most important thing is building a business that if you didn't sell, you'd still want to do it. Yeah. There's it. no point building something that you hate for 10 years that you can't stand getting out of bed every morning and going to work just because you're going to sell it in a few years because, you know, like what, 1% of recruitment businesses sell? It's like really slim. The beauty of it is, you know, there's two people involved that have done it before already and particularly to like Alex's level. Um, but most important, like just building something that I'm really proud of and that I enjoy doing every day. Like the most important thing is like the, the, the people. Like I genuinely enjoy working with every single person at Strive, every single one of them. Um, they give me energy. They inspire me every day. They motivate me and they make me want to come to work every day. So like, even if we didn't sell, like I'd still be happy doing what I'm doing. Um, and I think if you build an amazing business that has that kind of culture, someone will want to buy it. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that's, that's the goal. That's the North Star. But like most importantly to me, it's like just doing something that, that, that energizes me every day. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. What, so if you look back then at the, all of the entrepreneurial endeavors that you've, that, you've, that you've been part of, and there's someone sat here today who's perhaps never started a business but wants to soon, could you give them any advice, like just basic stuff that you, you you tell anyone, like you definitely need to consider or think about if you're going to go on this journey? Because being an entrepreneur isn't actually for everyone, right? What What's the reality mm. of it? And what do they need to work out before taking that, that, that plunge? I think like the people that you've got around you and who you're going to, to do it with is a big part of it. If you're going to do it on your own, it's going to be a lonely place, um, you know, Throughout my career, there's been a lot of ups and downs, and I don't think I would have been able to, you know, keep going if I didn't have people around me to prop me up or someone to share the journey with. Um, like with A to Z, for example, it was nearly bankrupt three times. The bank pulled the plug on us three times and kept all the cash that we had and nearly starved the business. Like going through something like that on your own wouldn't be pretty, but having someone to, you know, share a beer with and, you know, frankly, to go out and get bladdered and deal it deal with it in the morning sort of helps <laughs> um so i'd say definitely pick the right people um and the, the other thing as well like and i know i'm maybe a bit hypocritical saying this but like there's no rush yeah i think finding the right like the timing is really important um you, you know at the timing when i left liquid was you know an opportunity presented itself i was in a good position to do it so i went for it but I think there's so much pressure, particularly on like on young people now on like social media, that they're like living this lifestyle, boats, yachts, private jets, flashy cars and, and stuff like that, that there's so much pressure to like like live that lifestyle and you know be an entrepreneur and you know be, be a millionaire that people are in a, in a bit of a rush and like looking for an opportunity to do it rather than necessarily you know when the time is right and something presents itself going for it. But I think when that opportunity does does present itself, 
is like just go for it and back yourself. Um, that that's something that that I'd say. So people and timing and just you, you know backing yourself and going for it. Like failure is not it's not a big deal. I've failed so much in my career. Like you know, there's, there's there's positive ways of spinning things, but sometimes it's just been like we've failed. Um, but don't don't be like af- afraid of it. <clears throat> that makes sense, Adam. We've gone we've gone full time now. We've been been over an hour. Um, I want to say thank you. It's been a pleasure. I, I, I'm I'm energized listening to you. You know, you're you're a bit younger than me. Um, you're a United fan, which lets you down. But apart from that, everything else I've heard, I'm I'm I'm, I'm energized from. And I think you know what. You've done so many different things. I've got no doubt Strive's going to smash it. Um, if anyone is listening, going, I like that guy. I'd love to just pick his brains. Is it all right if they just drop you a note on LinkedIn or something like that and open up a conversation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, most most people who've been on the show, you know, they cite that there's always a founder or someone out there that just wants to ask a few more questions based on something they've heard. So I'll tag you in everything here. We'll get you on again in the future, no doubt. Sometime in the future when uh, you're closer to that, 40-year-old Mark, you're still a lot further than me. Um, yeah. And uh, good luck, mate. Look after yourself, okay? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, Sean. Pleasure. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future, and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. I'll see you soon.